So this is the sermon, by the way. Okay. So where does this story begin? So we need to go way back, and I've been doing this in Advent, so uh, apologies to people who've been with us right through the Sundays of December, trying to follow this, this historical story that leads up to this Christmas. So about 2,000 years before Christ, there's a man and a woman kind of minding their own business called Abraham and Sarah, and God comes to them, and he makes them a promise. David, can we stick the first couple of verses up? Oh, goodness me. Right, okay. Right. Okay, I'll look at this one, it's bigger. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that required a lot of faith for them because they were very early, very elderly, and were childless. And it was a number of years before the miracle happened in Sarah, and they had a little child. And then that child grew up, and obviously the the thing began. But they had to believe that promise that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And there was no evidence around them that this could be happening. But they hung on to it. They believed it. And they had a child, Isaac, uh, who then had a, had a child himself called Jacob. And the story then begins to become familiar because Jacob had a whole host of children, boys and girls, the most famous among them probably being Joseph. Um, then you get stories of Egypt. Uh, you eventually get hundreds of years of slavery. The Hebrew children, uh, you remember all that kind of slaughter that was going on of the boys. Uh, but they continued to believe the promise that all the nations of the earth, all peoples of the earth, would be blessed through them. Then the story progresses on, and we see the rise of this uh, prince of Egypt, Moses, and the uh, the exodus, the, the release out of Egypt of, of the whole of the nation of the Hebrews, the traveling through the Red Sea and across this wilderness uh, and into their promised land. And one of the things that uh, you don't quite get when you read little snippets of the story along the way is that their understanding of who God is and how God works with them is growing. So when God appeared to Abraham and Sarah, That was the only information they really had. But as things begin to move on, they interpret the activity of God through what God does with them as a nation. Uh, So the, uh, the exodus out of Egypt, the blood over the doorposts, the taking them through the Red Sea, the rescuing of them, begins to help them understand of God as the Savior, as the one who redeems, as the one who rescues. And this grows into their understanding of their spirituality and of who God is and how he relates to humankind. After the, the settlement or the conquest of Canaan, uh, they, they, they live on there for generations, and then eventually uh, they are becoming like the other nations, and they, they decide they would like to have a monarchy so that they can act politically and economically along with all the other nations around them. And David, uh, who is their second king, and is probably the greatest moment 
uh, in their history as a nation. And uh, he builds Jerusalem and he builds a palace for himself, but he has a dream of building a palace or a temple for God. Now let's, let's read a couple of words of what David said. Good grief, David. (laughs) You know what? I've got a script here. (laughs) Let me go to that. Okay. All right. I learned this off the heart, but not the Bible bits. (laughs) Okay. In 1 Chronicles 28, when they were just opening, they were, the temple was about to be opened, or at least David was talking about opening the temple. It says, David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. They had begun to realize that God was dwelling in their midst as a people. And they needed a place, a place that would be special, a place where they would know they could come and meet with God. And they built the temple. And David described it as God's throne room is in heaven, but his footstool on earth is the temple in Jerusalem. That's where God's footprint on the earth is most experienced and seen, in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where people, we even read in the stories of Jesus, they came to visit the temple for the festivals. We know that Jesus made his way there right at the end of this story that we're talking about. That's the footstool of God, the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this, this is a developing understanding. You've you got to hang on to that. About 500 years later, things have gone very bad as a nation. And we've been doing this right through Advent. Assyria invades the northern part of Israel and takes a load of people away. Then Babylon invades Assyria and therefore the top half of Israel and Kozodown takes the bottom half of Israel and flattens Jerusalem brick by brick, tears it apart, temple and everything flattened and burnt. And we have the first deportation of the Israelites from Jerusalem. And here's a big question that they faced as they were thinking about their relationship with God, as they walked from Jerusalem, being driven away by these conquering uh, Babylonians, as they looked over their shoulders and they saw the smoke rising out of their temple and out of Jerusalem, they were faced with the question, where is God? The temple has been flattened. Does that mean that the Babylonian God is bigger than our God? Has our God deserted us? Where is God? They were then taken off uh, into Babylon, spread around the kingdom of Babylon, the empire of Babylon, uh, to work. Uh, You know, anybody who's any good at anything got to go on doing it, but far, far from their temple and their city. And then, of course, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, and the Persians invaded Babylon, who had invaded Assyria, who had invaded Israel. It's a bit like the woman who swallowed the spider. Do you remember that? There's always a, there's always a bigger one. There's a bigger one out there. The, Babylon, the Persians took the whole thing. 
So these Israelites, these Hebrews, having lost their temple, that sense of the place where the footprint of God is, where the footstool of God who resides in heaven, but his footprint, his footstool on earth is in Jerusalem, it has been destroyed. Faith is being eaten into here. And as they're scattered all across this empire that runs from the shores of Greece to the shores to the borders of India, they're wondering, where is Jehovah? But there are voices, voices of people in the Old Testament. They're called prophets. Zechariah, Nahum, Obadiah, Amos, Hosea, Daniel. And there are some big hitters, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel. But there's one, possibly the biggest of them all, Isaiah, who starts to speak. And these people are writing stuff. They're sending it out along the trade routes. It's going with the, with the commercial people as they travel around. And these words are coming to the Hebrews uh, in different parts of this huge empire. Um, and it's stirring them up. They're beginning to hope. We're hearing stories of people like Daniel, people like Nehemiah, uh, others, if you know those Bible stories, and Esther. And, and there's something stirring in them. And this is hundreds of years this is taking. But something stirring of that God and Jeremiah... Uh, we read this about on the first Sunday of Advent. Jeremiah said there's a time coming when God is going to keep his promise. That the nations, the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. And he's encouraged them, hold the promise. Don't give up the promise. Then Isaiah comes along. And Isaiah is about to say something incredibly important. Could we play a little bit of Tom? Uh, surely God was in this place. <clears throat> yes. And I knew it not. Yes. So we're, we're absolutely so. Everything has to be up. If you decide to, and if you feel impelled, your forced circumstances comes upon you, and you, you must begin to speak God. Never speak God small. Mm, right. Bigger, brighter, better, more expansive, more, more, more accommodating, more loving, more accepting. <laughs> I'll stop there for I always head towards her. I say. <laughs> Thank you, David. Isaiah starts to speak of the God who can't be contained in Jerusalem, the God who can't be contained in the temple. Uh, would you stick up some words for me and I'll grab the script. <laughs> okay, look at that. Okay, this is what Isaiah sent out to the Hebrews scattered all over uh, the Persian Empire. This is what the Lord says. He's, he must have been listening to Tom because he's speaking bigger. Heaven is my throne, but the earth is my footstool. No longer is it a temple in Jerusalem. The earth is my footstool. And that means that if you think the emperor of Persia is big, he's just sitting on the footstool of God. The earth is now the footstool. No longer do you need it to look at the ruins of Jerusalem and the smoke 
coming up out of the temple because it's been destroyed. Because they're beginning to understand that the earth is God's footstool. God's footprint is all over the earth. So if you're caught in Persia, or you're caught in Babylon, or you're caught in Assyria, or you're some other place, or you're caught in your own fear, or you're caught in your own anxiety, or you're caught in your own weakness, or you're caught in your own sin, or you're caught in whatever it is that is the exile that we find ourselves in at times. God's throne remnants is in heaven, and his footstool is everything. He's over it all. But there is yet another twist in the story. And it's another four or five hundred years later. They've been promised that one will come. We're getting to Christmas. That one will come. There is one coming who will be the king of all kings. And the lord of all lords. And he will rule over the whole of the earth. And they're all beginning to dream of the one who will squash the emperor of Persia under his thumb. And of course by the time Jesus actually arrives... uh, There's something even bigger than Persia. The Roman Empire has just taken it all. And they're waiting for the one who will come. And just like for Abraham, their understanding when they got to Egypt, their understanding of God had to grow and develop. And when when they got out of Egypt and they went through the wilderness and ended up in Canaan, again, their understanding is growing of God. Their understanding of God when the kings are around and when they build the temple and Jerusalem and they're on top of the world. And then when they are taken into exile and it's all destroyed, their understanding of God is growing rather than diminishing. It is growing and it's growing and their expectation is growing. But they weren't ready for this one. When the king of all kings and the lord of all lords was born. He was born to an unknown young woman. In a little place that had no address. Out round the back of something somewhere. And he came from humble background. And he didn't, he wasn't born in the temple. He wasn't born with wealth and power. But yet this is the one whose throne room is in heaven. And the whole of the earth is his footstool. And rather than having his feet on the earth, he comes and lives in the earth. And is part of it. Becomes one of us. And our understanding of who God is and how he relates to us explodes again into this fresh revelation of who God is and what he's doing with us and how he's going to bless all peoples of the earth through this. And this table is very significant, not this particular one, but a table, table in Jesus, was very significant because the night before he was about to go on trial and he was about to be put on trial in front of the people who ran the temple, in front of the people who ran the city. Remember, they were still thinking this was the footstool of God. He was going to be put on trial in front of the person who represented Rome, the greatest empire the world had ever seen up to that point. And although they were going to put him on trial, they didn't realize it, but the whole world was going to be on trial. And that night, when he, took the, when he sat at this table, And he broke some bread and gave them some wine 
And he said, here's how we're going to change the world. He took a bowl and he put water in it and he set it down in front of the first of them and they were sitting around this table and there were people who would deny him there was somebody who was going to betray him there were people who would run away in fear from him there were people who would want nothing to do with him in the next 24 hours and he put the bowl of water down in front of them and he knelt in front of them and it says that he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and one at a time he washed their feet and he became the footstool he took their feet into the towel and he dried them and this is an entirely different understanding of who God is the one who becomes the footstool and just doesn't rule over the earth but walks in it in the dirty places the hard places and the day after he showed them that he was prepared to be their footstool he gave his very life And this night, we remember the birth of this one. And it changes everything. We're no longer competing with emperors and kings and power and wealth and success and all those things. We're gathering around the one who becomes the footstool and eventually who gives his whole life for people like us so that we can become part of the blessing to the whole of the earth. Now, we're going to sing a song in just a wee moment. And we're going to sing it twice. And I'm going to ask you just to remain seated in the first singing through of it. It's familiar, but try to capture, try to capture what it must have been like to have been in exile from Jerusalem, living far, far away in Persia, working under the power of this incredible emperor who could have snuffed out whole nations with a click of his fingers. And hearing this revelation coming from Isaiah and these other prophets, that God is the God of the whole world. He's bigger than this. And listen to those themes caught in this song. And then the, the poet who wrote the lyrics of this takes us on into, but that one becomes the one who washes our feet. And God has revealed to us on Christmas night as something entirely different from what anyone could have imagined. <laughs>